0: Hi, my name is Ryan. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 27, 4-8. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up. My enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, "Seek my face. My heart says to you, "Your face, Lord, I do seek the word of the Lord.
1: Hi, my name is Brett. The New Testament reading is found in Acts 4:23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the palace, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and continued to speak to the word of God with boldness. The word of the Lord.
2: Hi, my name is Steve. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found this morning in the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Praise be to our Lord Christ. You may be seated this morning. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you today. Um, I'm I'm up here to introduce our speaker this morning, who's a friend of mine that uh, we're just so honored to have with us this Sunday. Uh, His name is Pete Gregg. Now, many of you may know Pete, 15 years ago, Pete started the 24-7 prayer movement, and uh, it has really been a thing that the Lord has breathed on. Um, through this movement, there, there are now prayer rooms, 24-7 prayer rooms, in over half the nations of the world. That's an amazing thing. And then there are even, a step further, these boiler room communities, which are like these missional uh, prayer communities uh, in, 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 all around uh, the world in four different uh, continents, Pete, what I love about Pete is he, he blends the fire of the Holy Spirit with the richness of the church's prayer traditions throughout the ages. Sometimes you think about prayer movements and prayer stuff, and some of you might be like, oh, I don't know, is that weird? Or is that, how, how does that work? What does that look like? What does that sound like? And I think Pete has been perfectly prepared and poised um, to be at the, the spearhead of this movement because of the way he just blends the richness of the different streams of prayer Uh, throughout the church's history. And so it's really been a remarkable thing the way that it has spread across... Uh, denominational lines. Um, He was even uh, involved with the Archbishop of Canterbury in England helping to prepare him uh, in his visits around the country before he was enthroned as the Archbishop. So I've met Pete uh, uh, through some mutual friends but then also got to spend some time together on some of um, my trips over to the UK. Uh, Pete is the Director of Prayer for Alpha International. Some of you are familiar with the Alpha uh, course and, and, and all of that. Uh, Pete is also the pastor of a church in Guildford, England called Emmaus Road, which I've had the pleasure of uh, being at and speaking at, and so it's just, we're so thrilled to have Pete here with us, and the irony of a Brit speaking to us on 4th of July weekend is also not lost (laughs) on me, but please give a New Life Downtown warm welcome to Pete Gregg.
3: Thank you Glenn for that very uh, kind introduction and yes it is a weird weekend to be an Englishman in America as you celebrate. um, I was reflecting it's a little bit like you turn up at this wild party, everyone's there, it's an annual affair and you find out it's been thrown by your ex-wife to celebrate her divorce from you. You know, it's fun but weird. Uh, So I her Majesty the Queen has actually sent me with a personal message for you, New Life Downtown, to say, if you want to just review that whole independence thing and, and come back in, uh, as long as you start to spell your words properly, we, 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 can, we can discuss it. Uh, so it, it is a joy to be with you. When uh, Glenn came to speak at the community that I'm part of in, in England, everyone just fell in love with the guy, not because of his brilliant Bible teaching, but because there was this moment at the start of the first service. We, 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 the background is we, we started um, uh, meeting in the back room of a pub, Uh, with this vision to center everything we did on prayer and worship and then make a measurable difference amongst the poor and the lost. And uh, it was a a typical English pub, uh, except that we had a landlord whose name was Ahmed, and he was, get this, from Bethlehem. So people would rock up and say, oh, it's so innovative, a church meeting in a pub. And we're like, guys, the whole backroom of a pub thing with a landlord from Bethlehem, you know... (laughs) that's where it started (laughs) it's the palaces that are a little peculiar so um we outgrew that. We, we moved into a, a theater, uh, just a little theater, and then um, we outgrew that. So in January, we started a second service. We have two morning services on a Sunday like you. And then we, uh, uh, in May, started an evening service in a thousand-year-old church building across the road uh, where people have been worshiping Jesus for more than a millennium. And uh, anyway, Glenn came and spoke at both of our morning services. The start of the first service the worship band was there, except the keyboard player was stuck in really bad traffic and hadn't arrived. I'm sure these things never happen at New Life downtown. And so the worship leader who was on the guitar was looking a little awkward without missing a beat. And I don't know anyone else in the world who would do this. Glenn, uninvited, st- <laughs> we've invited him to speak. He stands forward, he goes to the keys and, and joins our worship band. Songs you'd never learn. And it was br- we all just fell in love with your pastor right there at that moment. And as you'll have picked up from the introduction and from the, the, the readings today, Glenn has asked me to speak on this subject of prayer, which is very close uh, to my heart. And, um, you know, for me, it really began 15 years ago when I was kind of hijacked into prayer. It's not that I didn't pray before. Uh, we, you know, we all pray. Even if you're an atheist, you probably pray sometime. There's plenty of research that actually shows that's the, the fact. And if you're a Christian, your prayer life is almost certainly better than you think it is. This morning People constantly beating themselves up about prayer But often we we so boxed prayer And what interaction with God looks like That we, we, we kind of feel like we're never making the grade But the truth is that You're regularly thinking about God You're regularly conversing with God My prayer life uh, actually really took off When I um, renounced my faith At the age of 18 And um, decided I wouldn't be a Christian anymore I didn't believe in God And I, I just started talking to the God I didn't believe in All the time You know, I don't even believe you're there who are you talking to? <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, 15 years ago, my wife and I, Sammy and I, we, we planted two churches at that stage. And things were going really well outwardly. Uh, the churches were very innovative. They were growing. Uh, I was being invited to travel around the nation and other nations talking about what we were doing. And um, everyone was kind of applauding. And yet, I started just to feel horrible. Frustrated. Uh, worried that maybe I didn't know God as well as I said I did. Did I even believe the things I was preaching to be true? Uh, And I now know it was spiritual hunger, but it didn't feel very spiritual at the time. You know, often when God does things in our lives, we always think God's going to do things and they're going to be spiritual versus normal. But by definition, if God made everything that's normal, then most of what he'll do with you will be normal. The weird thing is when he's weird. It's weird how weird we get about God when he defined everything that's normal and natural. And, um, and, and I just started to feel spiritually hungry, longing for more of God. Uh, St. Augustine once said, Thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee. And God was rubbing salt in my lips. Perhaps you are here this morning with salt on your lips. It might be tears that have put that salt there. Just out of pain and suffering, you're longing for God. You might be in a season of great joy like these parents we just saw uh, up on the stage dedicating their babies. But there are different ways in which God draws us to seek him. And so I found myself seeking God. I, I, I my, my guilty secret was I stopped reading all my kind of impressive theology books and started reading really embarrassing like Christian paperbacks by people like Lauren Cunningham from YWAM. Just simple books about just knowing Jesus, and doing what he says, and seeing miracles. And I was just weeping over these things, the way I hadn't wept over a Tom Wright book in years. <laughs> and, uh, and saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. And so I realized the key to it all was prayer. That this is the essence, this is the heartbeat of a relationship with God. If I never talked to my wife, you would question the depth of our relationship. And I I realized that everything else, our mission, our, our marketplace engagement, our fighting of injustice, our building of family, our creative imagination, all of this is rooted in that interaction with God that we call prayer. And so we began to give ourselves to prayer. And uh, we, we stole an idea from some uh, Moravian Christians in the 18th century in southeast Germany who started to pray nonstop and continued for a hundred years. And out of them, the great missions movement of the Reformation flowed. Uh, it was they that uh, led to the conversion of John Wesley, for example, and from that Methodism and the Salvation Army and so on. And we figured if they could pray nonstop for a hundred years, maybe we should try praying nonstop for a month back home. And at that time, we were only getting three old ladies and a goat to our church prayer meeting, you know. And the goat was not committed, I'll be honest. And, 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 and so the idea of praying non-stop for a month was insane. And yet, I just figured if we only manage a week, then it'll still be more praying than we've done in a long time. And uh, so we started praying, 5th of September 1999. And all I can tell you is God showed up in our prayer room in ways that completely changed lives. People who were atheists came and said, we can feel God's presence in here. Uh, Pornographic addictions were just broken. Marriages were restored. People uh, experienced angelic visitations. People began to pray creatively all over the walls and the floor and the ceiling. They would graffiti their prayers and do artwork. How can you limit prayer to mere words? A little girl was healed of leukemia. All sorts of extraordinary things. And at the end of our first month of prayer, we just couldn't stop. And then in our second month, it was the same, and in the third month, the thing went viral. And that, we now know, was the beginning of the 24-7 prayer movement, which, as you've heard, is in over half the nations on earth. It's been a wild ride. And so I've begun to realize that from prayer, everything else flows. You know, the church was first born in a prayer room. Jesus gave the Great Commission, but he didn't say, go, he said, wait. And seek me. And so they waited in that upper room, praying. And then the Spirit of God came, and the gospel went out, and the church was born. And it is always out of the intimacy of prayer that the miracles and the messes of new life flow, just like certain other intimate acts. And so we are called to engage with God in prayer. Prayer is this universal powerful and personal ability given to all humanity and yet it is also as we all know at times difficult and confusing prayer can be confusing intellectually why do we need to pray if god is all loving all powerful all knowing then won't he just do his thing anyway does it really make a difference Prayer can be confusing emotionally. I guarantee if I sat down with each one of you and talked to you at any level of depth, you would ultimately begin to share with me some area of longing, frustration, even disappointment and unanswered prayer. We all live with that stuff. And prayer can also be confusing very practically as we try and find ways of engaging with God that is true to our own particular psychology, circumstance and stage of faith. Often people think they're bad at praying, but often it's just that they're not being taught how to pray in a way that is true to the way God has made them. If you're a crazy introvert, and you just want everyone to shut up so you can work out what you think, and you're in a church that whenever they say, let's pray, everyone starts screaming in tongues, you're going to think you're bad at prayer. You're not. You just need another wineskin. I don't mean leave the church, but I mean... Prayer is broader than what you're currently seeing modeled. On the other hand, if you're a crazy extrovert, and when you're left alone in a room, you have no thoughts whatsoever. (laughs) You don't know what you think. You're like a goldfish, just swimming round and round and round. Until you open your mouth, you don't know what you think. And you're in a church where when they say, let's pray, everyone suddenly goes into the kind of the restroom position, you know. (laughs) And, uh, And they just go silent for a really long time. And your head is just empty. You think you're bad at prayer. You're not. And, and so we're trying to find ways of praying in the mother tongue of our own psychology and circumstance. So prayer can be confusing for all of us. You probably know that, um, that story about the bar in uh, Mount Vernon, Texas. You know, the owner, the business was booming and uh, uh, it was going so well, he decided to extend his bar to, to, to make his premises bigger and um, the local church that was Southern Baptist they decided that this was, this was wrong that this was already a den of iniquity and the last thing they wanted was the business getting bigger and so they launched a campaign against the extension of Drummond's Bar in Mount Vernon, Texas and uh, there were petitions there were campaigns there were even prayer meetings against the extension of this bar but their prayers went unanswered the building work continued and it was just one week before the grand opening of the extended bar when lightning struck and the whole thing burnt to the ground. And the Christians all started high-fiving one another and, you know, punching the air and shouting hallelujah, whereupon the bar owner got so angry with the Christians, he decided to sue the church for the demise of his business, whether through direct or indirect means, (laughs) whereupon the church denied all culpability. So at the opening hearing, the judge, having heard the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's plea said this. I don't know how I'm going to decide on this one. It appears to me from having read the paperwork that we now have a bar owner who believes passionately in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. Prayer can be difficult and confusing, and yet it is also compelling. We are compelled to pray when an atrocity like the one in Charleston takes place. I know you prayed about that here. Uh, we, we, we are compelled. I, I want to show you a photograph. This is from a 24-7 prayer room in, uh, uh, in the Middle East. It's not a particularly good photograph. It's not a particularly dramatic one. But the subtext to this, they emailed this photo through and they said, we're praying because ISIS just moved into our neighborhood and they're killing the Christians. And here they are courageously in the face of that, seeking God in prayer. We are compelled to pray by the tragedies of life. We're also compelled to pray by our own personal tragedies, by sickness, by Times when we're just scared, when times we feel out of control. No one has a prayer problem on their way back from a terrible diagnosis at the doctor's. You don't think, oh, I really ought to pray about this, but I struggle with prayer. You just say, oh, God, help. And we're compelled to pray as well when we look at the spiritual wilderness all around us, perhaps in our workplace or in our city or in our street or even in our family. And then we read the New Testament, as we've just done, and we, we hear stories about miracles. We read the Apostle Paul saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. And we, we read about rooms shaking in prayer. And we say, God, our programs and our products alone are not going to get the job done. Please let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. There's something other that we need from you. So we're compelled to pray by the challenges of our time. And ultimately, I would suggest to you we're compelled to pray because as followers of Jesus, we see that he prioritized prayer. Though he was the son of God and without sin, he would stay up all night praying. He would often get up early to pray. He prayed before every major decision in his life. He set us an example in prayer. And so we have this moment that we read about today from the gospel. When his disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you teach us to pray, please? They realized that he is their rabbi, they are in his rabbinic school. The way that used to pan out at that time was if you were in someone's rabbinic school, you would learn their theology, you'd learn their philosophy, you'd learn their approach, and then you'd be kind of commissioned to go out and propagate that particular rabbinic view. And so they're in the rabbinic school of Jesus and they're saying, would you please teach us to pray because we can see if we're going to do what you are doing. The key to your perspectives and your, your insights, the key to the power that you seem to move in miraculously is your prayer life. The disciples never, to the best of our knowledge, ever said, would you teach us to preach? Would you teach us to fight injustice? Would you teach us how to do evangelism? Would you teach us to plant churches? They knew that the key question they could ask the living Lord Jesus was, would you teach us to pray? Because that is the core to your relationship with God. That is the call to unlocking your destiny and the vocation that's upon you. That is your call to being a good father and a good mother and a good son and a good brother and sister. It is Walking and talking with the Father in intimate conversation. And so they say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And he responds overwhelmingly. He doesn't tut and say, you really should know how to pray by now. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. And this Our Father is fascinating to me because in it Jesus gives us a why, a what, and a how to pray. Firstly, in the Lord's Prayer, we find a why to pray. Let me explain. When the disciples said, would you teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples, that is because the rabbis would encapsulate their belief system in a creedal prayer. It kind of positioned you. I would love to know what John the Baptist's creedal prayer was that he taught his disciples. Wouldn't that be fascinating? And so they're saying to Jesus, you need to give us one of those prayers that somehow sums up all that we are really about as your followers. And so in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, this is my paradigm. This is my theology. This is my worldview. There's a Father in heaven. There is a kingdom that's breaking in. There is an evil one who's tempting you and seeking to destroy you. You need daily bread. You need to be forgiven for your sins. 300 years before the Nicene Creed, we have the original creed and the Lord's Prayer. And what fascinates me is 300 years later, they feel the need to make statements about God to the world. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You start by making statements to God about the world. It is framed in prayer. You see, this here is true orthodoxy of faith in the Lord's Prayer. You know, orthodoxy. It means uh, it means correct. If you look it up in the dictionary, they'll say doxa means belief, but at its root, doxa means glory. Correct glory. Connect. Correct intimacy. Connect. Work, correct worship is in the Lord's Prayer. And so if you want to get right to the heart of what Jesus was about, these words will not just help you to pray, but help you to know why to pray. Yeah. Yeah. So it's why to pray, but it's also what to pray. Now, this is fascinating to me. Because my friend was in the Middle East, and he was at a church service run by the Syrian Orthodox Church. The Syrian Orthodox pride themselves on still speaking the original language of Jesus, which was not Jewish, and It wasn't Hebrew. It was Aramaic. And the Syrian Orthodox are the one bunch of people who still speak the original language of Jesus, the Aramaic. And when my friend Graham heard them praying the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, he had the most stunning discovery. It rhymes. Jesus was a poet. He deliberately crafted this so that it would be enjoyable and memorable to say. He is saying, repeat this. That's why it's good that in the English it kind of rhymes like in him come thy will be done. Because we, we need to repeat this. We're pretty sure from the Didache, which is about the year 200, the earliest instructions we have outside the Bible for the church, they were told to pray the Lord's Prayer at least three times a day, probably at the three times where the original Jews would have prayed the Shema, the hero Israel. So we're called, one of the things we do in in 24-7 is we encourage people to set their alarms for midday and to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. And this is a tradition stretching back 2,000 years. So, because we're in every time zone, every hour around the world starts with people praying the Lord's Prayer. This is a why to pray, this is a what to pray, but hear this, it is most importantly a how to pray. In the other Gospels, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And so here we have in the Lord's Prayer a um, a, a, a kind of microcosm of prayer. Prayer isn't just one thing. Prayer is a family of activities. It is a menu of food. It's diverse. And we see in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, that's centering on God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's adoration. Your kingdom come, that's intercession. Your will be done, that's surrender. Give us this day our daily bread, that's petition. Forgive us our sins, that's confession. As we forgive those who sin against us, that's reconciliation. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, that's spiritual warfare. And so Jesus is saying, use this as kind of a springboard to help you know how to pray. If you ever struggle with prayer, you can work through the Lord's Prayer slowly. Just start by focusing on the Father in adoration. And, then, and, and you work forward, then you intercede, let your kingdom come. What does that look like for you today? It's a why to pray, what to pray, how to pray. And what we're going to do now is uh, just, just with the last 10, 15 minutes, we're going to just look at adoration and intercession. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. If, if Glenn ever asks me back, we'll finish the Lord's Prayer together, okay? when uh, but, 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 uh, we'll get on to all the other cool ones. But uh, let's just think about this together, because we might as well start where Jesus said we should uh, start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is adoration of God. We start in prayer, not with our shopping list of needs, but by focusing on who the Father is in worship. He is a good God. He is smiling at you. And you may be there thinking, oh grief, he's not going to talk about the Father heart of God. I've heard that talk so many times. But here's the deal. So have I. And yet still, and I'm one of the leaders of a prayer movement, I still have to remind myself again and again when I approach God in prayer that he's smiling, that he likes me, that he's looking forward to seeing me, that he's not bored and he's not angry, but that he is kind. He is a good father. I don't know, maybe once I'm a real old man, I'll still be having to remind myself again and again because the world is continually telling me different that God likes me. And art doesn't help. You know, the history of Christian art, there's hardly any depictions of Jesus looking happy. He generally looks constipated. (laughs) And we wonder why we struggle to visualize a God. Yea, verily one day the heavens will open and the Father will see you and he will smile. Our Father in heaven. Uh, just after I'd finished writing one of the, 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 the books that I've written, i have written, it was that moment of pressing send, sending the manuscript off to the publisher. And I'd been working crazy hours. I was exhausted. Uh, I'd hardly seen Sammy, my wife, and our two young sons. And so I invited them into my study and I sat one of the boys on each knee and Sammy stood behind me we said a prayer over the manuscript and then we pressed send and I'd been fantasizing about that moment for weeks as I'd been writing you know I can only type with these two fingers it's like a, a wood woodpecker pecker on, on cocaine You know, as I type and, and my eyes are dried out like the Gobi Desert staring at this screen and I've been thinking when I finish this manuscript there's a particular pub near us where we live that's got two vital ingredients it's got an Enormous big hug of a leather sofa, and it has got slides and swings for the children. That's where we're going. So we get in the car, we drive off to this pub. I collapse into the leather sofa. Thank you, Jesus. That's a worship moment right there. And I say to the children, Boys, look, behold, the Lord has provided for thee slides and verily swings. Go forth, enjoy. In the name of Jesus, go and take as long as you want. And they go screaming towards the door and one of them goes straight through the door and I can see him through the window running down to the slides and the swings and the other one gets to the door and he stops. And he watches his brother and then he looks back at me, looks at his brother, looks at me. And then he walks back towards me slowly and I think, is he needing to go to the restroom or... And he looks up at me and he says some words that suck the air out of the room. Daddy... I've missed you and he climbs into my lap and throws his little podgy arms around my neck and he would not go and use the slides and the swings that day. And I can still see his brother out the window playing. And it would not have been wrong for this other boy to have gone and used the slides and swings. And I did not love him more. He did not become more my son in that moment. But you have no idea how he ministered to my tired father's heart through his act of unnecessary affection. Prayer is first and foremost and ultimately us ministering to the heart of the father with acts of unnecessary affection. He will not love you more when you pray at 3 a.m. He will not love you more when you get up early to seek his face. He will not love you more when you switch off the stereo in the car to talk to him instead. He already loves you as much as he can ever, is ever going to love you, but you will minister to the Father's heart. And so that might look like this week, you going for a walk around the block, just you and the Father. It might look like, yeah, You're driving somewhere, you switch off not just the radio, but even your mobile phone. Is this blasphemy? And you say to the Father, okay, it's just you and me, 20 minutes. It might look like you addressing some areas of disappointment in which you felt like he didn't love you or like you or smile at you. But we seek the Father first in prayer. The... um, you know, prayer at its simplest is asking. Just asking your dad for stuff. It's what kids most naturally do. Dear God, I need a new bike, you know. It's asking. It's what we do when we get a terrible diagnosis. God, help. It's what we sometimes do when we look at our bank accounts. Help. Sounds like blasphemy sometimes. Oh, my God. But we're not blaspheming, we're actually praying. Prayer at its simplest is asking. Prayer at its best is not just asking, one way talking, it's conversation, it's us listening to God as well, right? We we know that. Probably if I'd said to you, what is prayer, the ones of you who went to Sunday school would say, it's a conversation with God, but I want to push you further. Prayer at its simplest is asking. Prayer at its best is conversation, but prayer at its deepest is communion. It's even beyond you talking to God and God talking to you. Sometimes it's hard to hear God, and sometimes you can't even put words around what you're thinking or feeling. Prayer at its best is being consciously present with the Father. So every year I go on retreat with one of my oldest friends who's an Anglican priest. And I'm so kind of A-type and driven, that even when I go on retreat, like, I have this long prayer list and I have a pile of, like, 12 books I want to read in 48 hours, you know? Anyone, just, anyone else relate to this? Okay. It's just me and Glenn then. <laughs> so my friend James, he looks at me. We've checked into this Benedictine monastery and he sees this pile of books by my bed for a 48-hour retreat. He shakes his head and laughs at me as he always does. And two years ago, he told me this story that stuck with me. He said, Pete, my son, his son's name is Connor. My son is 17 years old right now. And he said, when he gets home from school each day, he comes and finds me and I'm normally in my study. And what he does is my son just throws himself down on the couch. He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to borrow the car keys. He doesn't want me to give him loads of questions. He just, for maybe 10 minutes, wants to lie down in the same room as me. And my friend said, you have no idea how much I love that as his dad. There'll come a time later in the evening when he'll want to talk about his day. He'll answer a few questions and he'll ask to borrow the car keys. But right now, that is a time just for resting in the Father's presence. And so there is asking... And there is conversation, but there is communion, consciously being in the presence of the Father beyond words. I know that two weeks ago, Glenn told a story about the conversion of St. Francis before he was a saint, when he was just Francis, and how he gave everything away and began the Franciscan order. But there's just one beautiful little story, a little, little caveat I want to put on it. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, when he first just gave all his possessions away and started to radically follow Jesus, all the local people in Assisi said, Is he mad, or is he bad, or is he holy? You know, has he just gone crazy? Or is he a fraud? Is he trying to manipulate people? Or is God really doing something with this guy? So a local wealthy landowner, a man by the name of Bernard of Quintivelli, invited Francis to come and stay at his castle. And he put him up for the night and secretly spied on him when he was alone in his bedroom to see what he would do. And what he saw was when all the lights had gone out in the castle and everyone else was tucked up in bed, little Francis jumps out of bed, kneels down by his bed and begins to pray. And what he does is he prays over and over and over again one phrase. He says, my God and my all. 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 Maybe he was looking at the wealth all around him. He's going, my God, you're my all. I don't need that stuff. My God and my all. My God and my all. My God and my all. Five words again and again. That was his prayer life that night. And Bernard of Quindavelli was so impressed that he became Francis's first follower. And today there are hundreds of thousands of Franciscans. Every historian would confirm that the Franciscan movement changed the course of European history. But at its heart was not a businessman, was not a strategist, was not someone with a clever product. It was a worshipper who simply, when he was alone with God, said, My God and my all." from prayer. Our mission flows, our justice flows, our workplace engagement flows, our family building flows but the root of it all is our father in heaven hallowed be your name Okay, we haven't had time for intercession either I'll do intercession with you if I ever get asked back let me finish with one last story so when one of my kids was at that stage where he was just learning how to write you know that thing it's an interesting stage where a, a child can works out that these little shapes mean something but he doesn't know how to do it and he, he would sit there and he would try and write words but actually they were just nonsense they were hieroglyphics you know but he would have put all his effort into writing these words and I'd and say oh well done and then one time he came with this piece of paper he had written his usual scribbles and nonsense on and he handed it to me and he said daddy Look what I write it. So I said to him, that's very good indeed. Well done, Daniel. What great writing. So he said, thank you. And then he said the words that struck horror through my soul. Read it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what to do. Do, do Do you tell him that it doesn't make any sense and to come back when it actually does? I looked at the scribbles and they said nothing. And then I looked at his face and I thought about the silly little things that go on in his head and the kind of day that he's had. And I had a guess. And as I read his nonsense, he nodded. And at the end, he said, well done. (laughs) In prayer, we get so hung up With the outward articulation. As if prayer was about throwing a dictionary or a thesaurus at the heavens. But your Father in heaven is not impressed by your outward articulation, good or bad. He looks at your face and he thinks about the funny little things that go through your head. And the kind of day and week and month and year and life you've had. And he interprets our words and our sighs and our longings and our laughter. He understands. He reads our hearts. And so as we prepare to go into communion. Let us think about this father. Who invites us. To come into his presence. Yes with our needs and our requests and our questions, our petition. Yes with our needs for the world, our intercessions for others. But ultimately to simply be with him. And it might be that as we take communion today, you want to remember that image. Of my son climbing into my lap. And ministering to my heart with unnecessary affection. Or you might want to remember that image of Connor lying down on the couch in the presence of his father. Not saying or doing, simply being. Not asking, not conversation, but communion. And I just wonder if today there are some of us who struggle to see the father as one who loves us and likes us. Maybe your own dad was distant or absent or unkind. How much more do we need to know the love of our Father in heaven? I wonder if you have salt on your lips today. There's just a spiritual hunger, a thirst for God growing in you. And you always got told that somehow being a Christian would feel nice, but actually just feels nasty right now. And you're going to come and take communion in a bit as an act of saying, even if it hurts like hell, I'm still going to seek your kingdom of heaven. I want you. I need you. One thing have I asked. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty. So let's just pray together, shall we? And I'm, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer, but we always say this together. I'm just going to pray it, if, you, if you're okay with this, on your behalf now. Lord Jesus, we ask you to teach us to pray. And in response to the assistance of your Holy Spirit, our prayer to you is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in downtown Colorado Springs, in our families, in our streets, in our workplaces. Let your kingdom come in us as it is in heaven. And give us this day, Lord, our daily bread, even as we come to your table. We know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Would you feed us with your body? give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins because we approach you as sinful people and Lord as we approach your table we choose to forgive those who've sinned against us to come forward in grace and Lord would you deliver us from the evil one for yours Lord is the kingdom the power and the glory Amen